Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just take a moment, Lord, and just we acknowledge your presence here in this place. God, we are thankful and we are grateful, Lord, that we do not serve a God who is far away. We do not serve a God uh, who's dead. We do serve a God who's alive, who's active, Lord, and who is present with us, and we recognize your presence here in this place this morning. God, as your word says, Lord, that you inhabit the praises of your people. And God, as we lift our voices in song to you and worship to you, Lord God, we trust that, that it is just that, Lord God, that you are inhabiting our praises here. God, I pray, Lord, just that you will continue to just keep our hearts open, Lord God, and receptive, Lord, to your word today. I pray that uh, as we go through, Lord, these next few moments through the word, God, just that you would speak to us, each and every person that's here. God, that you would meet us right where we're, we're at today, Lord God in the midst of, of a mess in some situations, Lord God, in the midst of questions in some situations, God, we realize, uh, God, there are many scenarios, many situations, Lord, represented in this room, but God, we know that through it all, Lord, you are present, and that is all we need, and so God, we thank you for that, we thank you for this time, and for your word, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can be seated. Well, it is good to, to be with you today, and anybody making plans to go downtown here afterwards, or go somewhere, I hope. It's a nice day, right? Got to take it. Take it when you can get it. Well, uh, as, as Pastor Tony mentioned earlier, we are going to continue uh, this series that we're in on the book of Acts. Uh, how many were here a couple weeks ago when we started or did our intro? A few people. Um, this title, title of the sermon series is Unfinished, and I've had a few people say, well, didn't Jesus say it's finished when he was on the cross? And yes, he said it was finished. His work was finished. But the idea of the unfinished is that we as a church, we, we have work to do. Our, we have unfinished business, if you will. And so that's kind of the, the premise, and that's the, the idea is the church, we're on mission and on purpose. And so that is our prayer today. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to finish out chapter 1 here today, and we'll be right on schedule and on target for next week, for Pentecost Sunday, to hit chapter 2, and it's, it's going to be great. Um, a couple weeks ago, like I said, we started this intro and we got into the first chapter. And if you remember, uh, we kind of left the disciples on the mountain there for a moment. If you remember, uh, Jesus, you know, uh, ascended into heaven, and Again, for those disciples, I mean, imagine, you know, we see airplanes flying around all day, and we see all kinds of rockets going to space and all this kind of stuff. But seeing Jesus, still seeing a person kind of go up to heaven, still pretty, that would probably catch our attention. I, I think we would agree on that. But the disciples were pretty in awe. They're just kind of standing there, if you remember. Um, and they're standing there just watching as Jesus had, you know, kind of was lifted away and, and disappeared. And then these two angels come up alongside of them, and they're saying, you know, why are, you, why are you standing around here? What, what are you, you, got, you got some work to do. You got your marching instructions, if you will. Now we need to get out and you need to go do it. And so they, the disciples went ahead and they left and, and went back to Jerusalem like they were instructed. And that's where we're going to pick, pick the, the account back up, the story. And today, as we go through uh, the rest of chapter 1, uh, the way that I'm going to approach it is, is I'm gonna, I want to look at three characters that kind of surface through uh, the rest of chapter 1. And we'll sort of chart our course that way. Um, my wife and I, you know, we, we've done quite a bit of traveling overseas. And um, if you've ever gone to some of these other countries that, you know, we go there because they have like these resorts, beautiful like oceanside resorts or, you know, whatever it is. 
And you go there, and, and sometimes in these, these other countries, I'm thinking for us, like we went to Sri Lanka, and it's, you know, you get to there, and you get to the airport, and it's kind of a little overwhelming, <clears throat> kind of what you walk into. You sort of get there, and you're kind of lost, and it's not like the nicest airport in the world. And you go out, and you're going through the countryside, and you're kind of, okay, you know, and the, our, our driver was explaining some of the stuff that had happened with the tsunami and everything, and you know, there's really poverty, you know, a lot of places. But it's so interesting that, you know, as you, you go through the, the country and then you get to this, this resort area, and then all of a sudden it's just all, like, built up, right? You think you're almost back in the United States and just, you know, you'll see, like, all these, like, huts and small, like, simple homes, and all of a sudden there's this, like, majestic building sitting there, all pristine, and you go in and it's, like, like you're somewhere else, you know, it's, it's, you're back here in the States or something, but you've got the view and the beauty of, of the ocean or whatever's there. And the interesting thing is, is that it's, it's the same place for, for you in that resort as it is for the people that are just living the simple lives outside of the resort, right? It's the same, same place, but a very different experience, will we all agree? And so, you know, as we, we look today at these different characters, <clears throat> We're going to see that all of them were called to follow Jesus. All of them were called to follow Jesus, and that was the same, but we see very different paths. We see very different experiences between the three. And, and, and we're going to dive into this uh, in Acts chapter 1. And so if, you, if you're there, or you can follow on the screen, we're going to begin reading in verse 12. <clears throat> it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem. From the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, which is about three quarters of a mile. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. If I can just stop here, I mean, this guy's just got it bad, right? Think about this guy named Judas. A disciple, and he's got to go around and say, you know, you meet somebody, he's like, no, 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 I'm not, I wasn't that, I'm not that Judas, all right, it's a different Judas, you know, don't get me confused, this poor guy's got to, like, continue on, what are the chances of 12, out of 12 guys, you get two Judases, so, anyway, they, he makes the distinction here, this is the son of James, a different Judas, and it goes on in verse 14, all these, with one accord, <clears throat> were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, now, you know, we see here that Luke goes to great efforts to list out sort of, you know, the last man, men that were standing, the, last, the disciples that were still present. He goes through uh, every single person that was there, every single disciple that was still uh, in place. And, you know, if we think back, <clears throat> remember when Jesus was arrested in the garden and if you've read that account, most people read that account, right, when Jesus was arrested. Do you remember, like, how, you know, the disciples, they stood there with Jesus the whole time, and they never left his side? Anybody read that version? Okay, just making sure. Yeah, it didn't happen, did it? <laughs> the disciples, what did they do? They scattered like cockroaches when the light comes on, right? As soon as they showed up, you know, some kind of opposition, they're arresting Jesus, they're like, I'm out, I'll see you later, and they just scattered to the wind, and then Peter even, you know, stuck around a little bit longer, but he eventually was run off as well. And so, you know, I really believe that Luke here is, is wanting to, to get across a couple of things, one of which that the disciples regrouped, if you will. 
They had an opportunity to come back together. They've regrouped. And notice that not one with the exception of Judas is missing, is it? Is, are they? <laughs> Every single disciple found their way back. Every disciple now is, is together and gathered in this place once again. And, and that is, is so important that, that they've, they've come back. And, you know, another thing just for food for thought, if you will, is, you know, as, as we share with people, even in our day, and people want to sit there and they, they try to criticize or say, well, you know, that's just mumbo-jumbo or whatever. You know, think about these men and, and what they went through, what they saw. And they had their chance, didn't they? They, they? they ran. They left. They could have just gone back home. They could have just returned back to their lives. They could have just left and, and never looked back, you know, at this whole thing. And they say, yeah, it was a couple years of my life. Well, I'm going to go back to what I was doing. But what did they do? No, they've come back around. They knew what they were called to do. And, and they chose to get back together, knowing the persecution, knowing all that was coming at them, and, and yet they still gathered and still stood. And so, I mean, as a credit to the validity of Scripture and what happened, I mean, we see very clearly that, that definitely there was a commitment from these disciples to, to be together. And so, and Luke uses this, this terminology here of when we see in uh, verse 14, it says, all these with one accord, right? They were gathered, they were together in one accord. Now, that's not a Honda, okay? In case four of you got that. So, Honda makes a car accord. Everybody got that? Get that? Come on, you got to give me something today. Jeez, you guys are tough today. The first service got it. It was good. But um, anyway, let's move on from the joke here. But yeah, they were gathered in one accord though, right? One accord, that's, that's something that you look for. That's, that's something that really um, resonates here uh, with, with deep meaning because they weren't just gathered together. You know, they weren't arguing amongst themselves. They weren't just, you know, gathered together to do what each one wanted to do. They understood what their mission, what their purpose, what their reason was in their gathering. And so they were, they were there. They were together in that place. And they, they, were, they were of one, basically of one mind and one spirit. You know, Jesus had called them to follow me, to follow me. And through his, his about three years of ministry with them, he taught them exactly what to do and how he wanted to go about it. And we continue that, that sentence there with one accord, and we're devoting themselves to prayer. So two very important things. There was unity, but there was a commitment to pray together. A commitment to pray together. They were praying why? Because something very important was happening. Something very important was about to happen with the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were also about to make this decision of who would replace Judas as a disciple. And we look through Jesus' life, and whenever there was an important decision that Jesus had to make, what happened? It said he always pulled away, right? It said he was always in the wilderness praying, seeking the will of the Father before that decision had to be made. Now, I don't know, I can't speak for all of you, I'll speak for myself. I wish I could say I was more consistent at times with this approach. I wish I could say that I've missed a lot of pain in life because I chose to go to God first and to seek what His will is before my own. But sadly, I've missed the mark many times where I've done what I wanted to do. And sadly, even sometimes when I even knew probably what God was telling me to do, but I didn't want to engage that, and I'm like, I'm going to go this way instead. And maybe if you're like me, you found yourself in a position where, man, I wish I would have done what I believe God was calling me to do. 
Because God doesn't always call us to the easiest path, does he? And we just, by nature, we are just, you know, destined. We want to kind of take the path of least resistance, the path of the least amount of pain, right? Am I by myself here? <laughs> we do, right? It's just, an, I mean, who wouldn't? You know, it's like, wow, you know, I can go this way and enjoy just, you know, a walk through a beautiful, you know, sunlit path with birds chirping and blossoms from the flowers coming up and everything else. Or I could go this way full of, you know, fire and, and people trying to kill me and trying to do this stuff. Like, which path do you want to choose? But the reality is, is there's a right path and there's a wrong path. And it's not always based on the ease of the journey. Don't forget, we, we serve a, a Savior. We serve a Jesus, our Savior, who was crucified on a cross. His path led him to the cross. I was going, going through a book with a friend of mine right now, and, and we were discussing this just this past week. And it just, it, 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 it just like leapt off the page, the words, because this idea that every step of obedience that Jesus made was one step closer to his destination of the cross. Anybody gotten onto The Chosen yet? A few people been watching it? If you haven't, you're missing out. It's, but there's a new episode out, and, and Jesus is coming into town with his disciples, and they're actually, the Romans have like three or four men outside of the gate as they're entering into the town, and they're, being, they're crucified. These men are hanging on these crosses. And it's just like, it's like a four second. I was trying to show my wife, Leanne, I'm like, this is a real powerful scene, and I, I realize it's like only four seconds long, but what happens is as Jesus is coming, the disciples are talking, and all of a sudden it kind of slows down to slow motion as Jesus looks for a moment at the, these men on the cross. And it captures so beautifully what, what, what I'm saying here, that Jesus understood where he was headed. Jesus understood the weight of what his calling was, even while the disciples were oblivious. Yet he still chose to be obedient regardless. He still chose to follow his Father's will. And it really is an example for us to follow, isn't it? We are a culture built on comfort. We are. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm in the same boat. You know? I mean, right now, I think maybe, you know, the AC is on or, you know, the fans are running. You know, we've got the coffee nice and hot in the back. I mean, what you, whatever you need. We've got bathrooms, in case you didn't know. We've got some bathrooms downstairs. You're welcome to use those anytime. But we, we, we have just these luxuries, right? We have just these things that we just assume. If we're uncomfortable, if we're hungry, most of us probably have enough money in our, our bank account. We can just go down to McDonald's or go into town and we can buy some food for ourselves. And I don't say that in the sense of we should live under this immense amount of guilt. But I say this as a reminder for all of us that we can get used to living this life of comfort, and if, and if God is calling us to do something or go somewhere that's going to bring some uncomfortable moments, we need to be ready to lay those comforts down in, the, in, the, in the, the sense that we can be faithful to the call. Don't let our comforts drive us, but let our faithfulness to God be the thing that leads us. But here we are, and here we see this, this moment where the disciples are about to choose this, uh, this new disciple and they're about to uh, usher in the, the, the day of Pentecost. And we see them exactly where they are, where they're supposed to be, 
and they're, they're together, and they're praying, and they're waiting on the Lord. <clears throat> One thing to remember as well is, as we walk through the book of Acts, the disciples did not have a blueprint of this is how the church is going to look, <laughs> right? We get the benefit that we can just thumb through a couple pages, a couple chapters, like, oh, yeah, I get it. And we see this. We see the structure now. They didn't know this was a new thing. And so they're just going to have to be faithful, and they're going to have to rely on the leading of, of the Holy Spirit as to what the next step is. They, they just don't know. And so we see this tremendous amount of faith and this commitment to prayer. Now, as we, we move into verse 15, I want to bring to your attention our, our first character here. Our first character. Uh, in verse 15, it says, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of the persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So our first character to kind of come on the scene here is Peter. Is Peter. And I, I, I call Peter, in, in this sense, a, a man of redemption. A man of redemption. Because if we go back to John, the Gospel of, of John, we see in John 21 this, this beautiful scene of Jesus. If we remember that, I think I even preached on it a while back here. Where the disciples had scattered, they'd gone, and then they were... were Jesus shows up on the shore, if you remember this account, and, and Peter sees him from far off and jumps in the water. And then you've got this beautiful scene for, as they're eating breakfast by this fire with Jesus, of Jesus and Peter, where Jesus, one by one, restores Peter back into full relationship with him again. He asks Peter, right? He's like, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, of course I love you. And he's like, feed my sheep. And he says this three times, and, and kind of nuanced in, in a little different ways, but he says three times. Why? Because Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three, right? And so he restores Peter. And so now we see Peter right out of the chute here, standing up amongst the, the, the brethren there and leading the disciples and stepping into what his role was going to be. You know, in, in Scripture, Luke here, he gives us, uh, there's a couple places where Luke gives us where the disciples are listed out. It's this and as well as in Luke chapter 6. And what we see is the order changes a bit. One, because Judas, of course, is missing here. But, but also we see, though, that Peter is always the first one mentioned. And so amongst the disciples, Peter was what we would call the first among equals. They were, they were equal in role and, and, and responsibility, but Peter was the one that kind of led them. And we'll see here next week how Peter is the one who, who stood up on the day of Pentecost and gave, delivered the first sermon. And so we see Peter, again, stepping full on into his role, and that he did carry this, and that there was a mutual respect by the other disciples for Peter. Now Peter, again, is stepping into this role, but also remember, too, that you know, the, the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. So Peter is, is, is stepping into and, and showing and displaying really what Jesus saw in him when he called him. Now, if, if you follow and you, you've read the Gospels at all, and you always see Peter, what is he doing? He's always, I think we can all relate, because he's always sticking his foot in his mouth, isn't he? He's always there, he's like, yes, doing, you know, he's, he's ready to go, but he's always just kind of sticking his foot in his mouth, he's, he's speaking out of turn, you know, one minute, you know, Jesus is affirming, you know, that, that yes, you know, that you are, I am the Lord and Savior and, and of the world, and, 
And Peter says that, but then the next moment he's telling Peter, get thee behind me, get thee behind me, Satan, right? It's, it's funny because Peter just, he gets it right, but then he gets it wrong. And great heart, but just can't seem to hit on all cylinders all the time. But here again, we see him stepping into exactly what he had been called to do. And so Peter, again, we'll call him this, this man of redemption because that's what we see. And I believe that there are people here today watching online or here in person or maybe you've missed the mark at times. Or maybe you've, you've kind of gone off the path. Or maybe you, like Peter, have, have done some things or you had the best intentions. But you still need that moment. You, you need that, that scene as, 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 as the Lord restored Peter. The Lord wants to do that for you today. The Lord wants, he's, he's willing and ready. God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness is always present. And what would, what would have happened had Peter not had that moment with Jesus? What would have happened? Do you think he would be standing there? Do you think he would have had the boldness to stand up and to lead and to step into his role? And how many times do we miss our opportunities because there's guilt or there's something that we've done that we've not turned over to Jesus yet? That we've not said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. God wants to redeem us. And he has, you know, he's redeemed us, of course, on the cross. The work is there, is done, is finished. But the mind-blowing thing to me, and for myself included, is how often, you know, we make those mistakes, and instead of just running to, to our Father and saying, Lord, forgive me, we're like, oh, this, this one's too, I'm too far gone now. This one was too much. You know, the cross wasn't enough. But God's saying today, you can be redeemed, because he can redeem anything. We can't outrun God, and he, he loves us, and he wants to do that. So we move from this, this scene, and we move from this character of Peter, and let's, let's continue on now in, in Acts chapter 1. And we pick back up in verse 17, and here's Peter speaking of Judas. <clears throat> and he says, For he was numbered among us, and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, this is speaking of Judas, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels pushed out or gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, and here Peter's going to quote Psalms, may, this, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. Psalm 69. And let another take his office. This is from Psalm 109. And so here we see again, here, here Peter is modeling exactly what Jesus did. You know, Jesus spent his ministry always pulling back from the Old Testament, bringing it forward to get people from where they were to where they needed to be. To understand, and we need to understand too, the Old Testament just isn't the first half of the Bible we skip over to get to the New Testament. The Old Testament is there for a reason, and it all points to Jesus coming into the, the culmination of Jesus' arrival. And so Peter here is quoting these psalms, and, and he's, he's talking now about our second person I want us to look at, even though not physically present there, but that's Judas. And I, I, I labeled him a man of regret. A man of regret. You see, Judas chose to, to betray Jesus. He betrayed Jesus. And 
we see as we read the account of Judas that it does seem like there was remorse, there was sorrow in his heart after he betrayed Jesus. And, you know, oftentimes, I really feel like, you know, we just write Judas off as this, this you know, horrible person. But Jesus, Judas walked with Jesus all along. And somewhere, as we talked about, remember when we started, we were talking about, you know, the same, same path, they're all, they're all, or the, the same Jesus they're following, but different paths. Jude, I mean, that's scary to me that Judas sat there at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach, seeing the miracles, having these conversations face-to-face with Jesus, yet still did what he did. And that's so sobering. But, you know, here we see, again, Luke, he's, 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 uh, or Peter, sorry, reaching back to the Psalms as he's speaking about Judas, because those Psalms that David wrote were actually about people that were very close to him, in his world, close relationally to him, that had turned on him and become his enemies. Now, you don't need to raise your hands, but I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that everyone in this room has probably had somebody close to them, very close, whether it's a family member, a friend, betray us. They do something really bad. <clears throat> and that's, you know, that's kind of the... If we're going to be in relationship, close relationship with people, that's the risk, isn't it? And that's why it hurts so bad, is because these people are so close to us. And this is what David's talking about when he was writing in Psalms. And so it, it related so well to where they were at, because again, this was Judas. This was their brother that walked with them, that was with them for years, that they had relationship with, who betrayed them. So we see Judas, this man of regret. His hanging is also described in Matthew of hanging himself. But we see the need. They, they, the disciples here are, are, are realizing they, they need another disciple to come in, an, an apostle to come in and fill that place. <clears throat> you see, Judas... It wasn't his death that removed him as an apostle. It was, it was his betrayal that removed him as an apostle. James, later on, is, is the first one martyred, and they, they don't try to go and replace James. Instead, you know, they, they, just, they let that position or that, let that one be open because he remains an apostle because he remained committed. And so understanding that and seeing that, it's, it's a, it does kind of paint a, a little bit of a picture of what's happening here. They knew they needed this 12th person. And so that's going to kind of springboard us into this last character I want us to look at. <clears throat> In verse 21 there of chapter 1, we continue. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So again, there was a a prerequisite for who could fill this position that narrowed it down very quickly. There was only a handful of people that had seen the resurrection that had been a part of that. And so this is kind of the pool where they're pulling from. And so verse 23, we continue, and they put forward two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts 
of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. <clears throat> now, anybody remember back when they were in elementary school? Come on, y'all ain't that old now. You gotta work with me. Yeah, we can probably remember, you know, back in elementary school. <clears throat> and if you remember, you know, in gym class, a lot of times you'd go out into the field and, you know, it would be like a game, kickball or something, right? And they would take all the kids, about 50 kids, and just line them up in this huge line. And they would pick two, right? They'd grab you and you, you come forward. And then, you know, you think you were like watching the NFL draft or something like that. And, and this little kid would sit there looking. And first, you know, they probably, they're friends, right? Whoever their friends were, like, okay, you can be on my team. And you, <clears throat> their friends would come up there. And then their friends are giving like their advice, right? They're whispering in their ear like, hey, sh you know, hey, he's, or she's, she looks like she could kick that ball like over the fence. Get them, you know, and so they're getting all, they're getting this advice from their, their people. And one by one, you know, the, the numbers keep dwindling, keep dwindling, keep dwindling. And you get down to like the last two or three. I don't know if you were ever one of those. Again, I remember, especially when I played like things with my brothers. Jim, you too, yeah. When I always played with my older brothers, I was the young one, right? So I'm sitting there, you know, nobody's picking me. And there are like two or three left. And there's two left, like, you know, I got a 50-50 shot. Come on, don't let me be the last one being picked. And sure enough, I'd be the last one. And nothing really does much for your self-esteem as much like something like that, that moment in life, does it? Like, wow, your options are, you know. And I don't know if you ever had this. Then they, like, sometimes they would try to, like, pawn me off even on the team that had more. You know, like, we don't want them over here. Just put them over that way. But it's like the last person to be picked is, it's always, I mean, again, you probably need like to go to counseling about things like that, because it's just, it just doesn't make you feel good at all. And, you know, as, as I'm reading through this, <clears throat> we read through this, you know, and, and so I, I don't want to talk, you know, a lot of people, we focus on Matthias, which we don't have a lot of information, but I want to talk actually about this man, I'm going to use his, his name, Justice, it was Joseph Barsabbas and then Justice, but I'm going to call him a man of regard, and, you know, as we look at him and put yourself in his shoes for a moment, you know, I mean, you've been, he's, he met all the qualifications. You know, he's been to all, all, the, all the stuff going on. He's been there. And it's down to him and another person. But they don't, he doesn't get the, you know, the, the lot or whatever. You know, they, he doesn't get the call to be on the team. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have, probably some issues with that, if I'm honest, you know. I would probably, you know, cry myself to sleep that night. Uh, I, I might say, you know what, I think I'm just going to go ahead and exit now because I'm just, dis you couldn't go to 13 disciples? I mean, come on, why couldn't you just take both of us? But here's, here's this man, here's, here's this man, Justice, and, you know, his, his name actually is Barsabbas, part of his name means son of the Sabbath. I mean, you would think that would be kind of the gold card, right, to get you in? I mean, come on, look at my name, it's, it's great. But he didn't make it. He didn't make it. And, you know, we see them here, and, you know, this idea of casting lots back then, you know, we, now I don't know, maybe this is you, but, you know, I don't know if you've ever, you know, Lord, speak to me today, and you're like, in your Bible, and you're like, and stick your finger, okay, God, what do you got? 
You know, you be careful when you do that, because there's some parts in the Bible you might, <laughs> might want to watch. But, you know, we don't need to do that. We can read the Word of God today. God speaks through His Spirit today, and so we don't need to trust, you know, this chance. But back then, this is how they trusted. They said God, and it's in the Old Testament as well, they would kind of cast the lots, and what came up, that felt like that was God's plan, that was God's will. And so, you know, here they are, and they, they choose Matthias, but here's this guy, Justice, and, you know, it's, it's just really something to see, and, and we don't have a lot of information, but uh, there, there was uh, something that came up. It, it was in later traditions, cited by uh, Eusebius, that as a result of, of Justice's missionary work, he was actually forced to drink poison and suffered no ill effects. That's, that's a little bit of what we got from uh, this, this document outside of the Bible, but just a historical document. And so we see, though, and that's kind of like a, this beautiful glimpse that we saw him kind of shake that moment off of you, and he continued on, didn't he? And there are some accounts that, you know, that, that he actually went on and he was martyred, you know, as, as a missionary. And just to think about that, you know, he, he had a choice here, didn't he, when this happened? He could have been offended. He could have been hurt. He could have, you know... A lot of things could have happened, and, you know, if, 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 if I had put myself in his shoes, I might have been more petty, <laughs> you know, and, and, and wanted something different. But instead, we see this man of character, and he continues on, and we see him go on to finish his race well. And I'm just, I'm struck by that. And, you know, I think when we read accounts like this, you know, we... We can just skim over these, these moments. These are people. These are lives and, 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 and what happened to them. And sometimes we get a glimpse, sometimes we don't. But in this case, we saw that this truly was a man of great regard. So as we, we, we begin to wrap things up here today, I, I want to just kind of walk us through here just for a moment. These, these three characters that we've looked at today. Peter, Judas, and this man, Justice. And, and, and how do we identify ourselves? Do we see part of ourselves, or can we find part of ourselves in each one of these, these characters? You know, here, Peter, and, and as we talked about earlier, earlier you know, his, his redemption. And those, those beautiful moments on the side of the shore with Jesus. And again, perhaps we're here today, and we've, we've got those, those things that we're carrying, and and we just we need to give those things to Jesus. We need to let him give him that that chance to restore our lives. Perhaps with Judas again, you know as I said earlier, we can just be so quick to write Judas off. You know, look what he did. This horrible person. But how easy could it have been you or myself in that situation? Or perhaps this man justice and his opportunity to take offense or to, to go a different direction. You see, again, they were all following the same Savior. They were all following Jesus, but they ended up on very, very different paths. So my question today is, is, is how, how are you doing today? How, how are you following Jesus? How is that going for you today? 
what path have you, you ended up on? Or where do you find yourself today? Is it, is it somewhere that you believe that God wants you to be? Is it somewhere that you believe that God has called you to be? Maybe you're on a path today that, that you've led yourself there through your decisions, through maybe not even being obedient times to what God's called you to. I know through my life that God has called me to things that I'm just like, Lord, I don't, I don't think I can do that. You know, when I talk to people at times, they, they talk about how, you know, they feel like God is, is, is far off, that God is distant. And I think that there are times in our lives when we, we, we come into those seasons, and sometimes it's just a season. Sometimes it's just God is wanting us to, you know, to deepen our roots in our faith, to be able to, to, to search out and to seek out more depths to, to our walk with God. And we can be obedient, and we can end up in those seasons, but... I think sometimes, too, and if, if, you, if you trace back, a lot of times, there was something that God has put on your heart to do. Maybe it's a person to speak to. Maybe it's doing something, you know, here at the church or whatever it is. But there's a place where we chose to disobey versus be obedient to what God's called us to do. There are two types of sin. There's a sin of commission where there's, those are sins, and those are a little more easier to identify because those are things where we, we do something wrong, right? But then there's sins of omission, and those sins can kind of linger a little bit because those are sins where God has told us to do something, but we just choose kind of to not. You understand? Like, okay, God's told me to, to speak to this person, to share the gospel with this person. Now, if you don't share the gospel with that person, is, that, is there going to be an immediate, like, raining down from heaven of fire? And, you know, no, it's just, you just go on with your day, right? But it's just this slow process. It's almost like carbon monoxide and just how it kind of begins to just steal the oxygen out of the air. And I believe a lot of people in the church, not, not just this church, but in the church as a whole, or just missing out on the sweetness of walking in sync and in, in step with Jesus. And the good news is that we don't have to stay there. We don't have to live in that place, but we, you, learn, you learn to just live in this place of dry so long that it becomes normal. Leanne and I had an opportunity uh, this, this past week, not this, this week, but the week before, we were able to go on a, a five-day retreat uh, to Deer Ridge, if you remember David Decker that was here that did my installation. We went out and we were able to just to take five days of her and I. We came back and we're still married, so that's good. No, but, you know, there was something, like those, after, after about two days, maybe three, you don't realize, like, how, like, you've been hitting, kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel, you know? You just, you're going and you're going and you're going and you're going at such a pace, you don't realize, like, how exhausted and how kind of on empty you can end up. And you begin to feel like, wow, I have emotions. That's pretty cool, you know? And you start to discover these things again. And it's the same in our walk with God. You know, we can do something for so long. We can walk for so long that it starts to just seem, this is just normal. This is, this is my life. And I, I shudder sometimes, even with myself, 
you know, like even when I come to church on, on Sunday mornings, like we have this, we are, we are coming to church when we are singing and we're worshiping God. We are coming to sing and worship the creator of the universe. A God who holds, again, the galaxies in the palm of his hand. You know, and, and we, we can worship God that way. And we have this worship with a God who's so personal and wants to be a part of our lives, though he's so great. But if somebody came in from the outside and looked at us today while we were worshiping, would they say, man, those people worship an amazing God because they are excited and they are into this and they, they, they just want to worship him. You see, we're a reflection of Jesus to the world, aren't we? We're supposed to be. And the question, and I ask myself this often, if somebody sees me or has an interaction with me, do they feel like or do they see something in me that they're like, that something is missing in my life that you have? I don't know, I don't know that I can answer that every time. I don't know that I, I can do that every time. That when, you know, that, that, that person at the checkout and, you know, I don't even hardly look them in the eye. Because I'm in a hurry. I've got my important stuff to do. Not realizing that a life could be hanging in the balance here. And I don't mean to come down hard. I don't, I don't want you to, to misunderstand what I'm saying. Because we all, we all can miss those opportunities. But I just want to challenge you today, church. That we don't, we don't become comfortable. We don't want to stay in that place. But instead, we want to be walking like we talked about earlier, and with one accord, right? We want to be walking in unity in this community here at this church because that is the example. We see it throughout Scripture. That is the example. When people come to the church, when they, they come in to interact with the church or people of, that are the church, we are the church. They see Jesus. They see something that's missing. I close with, with this, this verse from Matthew 16, or these two verses. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There are three components to that, right? First, we are to deny ourselves. How many want to be signed up for that? <laughs> Nobody, right? It's, it's not, it doesn't come natural. And that's, I want to encourage you in that way. It's not, if you're, if you're saying, that's hard, Pastor Dell. Like, I don't know if I can, you're in good company. <laughs> but that's the prerequisite is to say, you know what, Lord? My hands I take off of this. I surrender what I want. And I want to put my hope and my faith and my trust in you alone that you know best. Again, I can't see one of the disciples as they're going through their time on earth and one of the disciples saying, hey, hey Jesus, I, I think you shouldn't have healed that person, but you should have healed this one over here. Are you crazy? <laughs> Who would say that to Jesus? Because if we trust him and we acknowledge him as Lord, wouldn't we just, aren't we supposed to follow? But it's going to cause us to have to deny ourselves, a denial of self. Secondly, we are supposed to take up our cross. So I'm supposed to deny myself what I want, and then I get to pick up a cross too, right? It's great sales pitch so far. <laughs> but it's what we're called to do, isn't it? To pick up a cross. 
But again, we live in a place, especially in the Western world here, where we have so many things and so much stuff and so much comfort that our crosses a lot of times are tucked back in our closet in our room or under our beautiful car in the driveway or under, in the backyard of our big house somewhere. It's stuck behind a tree because we've forgotten that we're supposed to carry this cross. Again, going back to that image of Jesus and every step of obedience was one step closer to this cross. But we're called to carry it. And lastly, we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. And finally, we are supposed to follow Jesus. Lord, wherever you take me, Lord, wherever you go, I just want to go where you go. Because I trust you and I love you and I've committed my life to you. That's all it comes down to, isn't it? Isn't it? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you, Lord, for today. God, I thank you for, Lord, this message. I thank you, God, just for, Lord, just your patience with us. God, we see... Lord, through your son, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, what, what sacrifice looks like, what love looks like. And God, we say we obey you with our lips, Lord, but, but God, when we, we choose through our actions to disobey you, that's, that is the opposite of love. God, forgive us. God, we ask that you would continue, Lord, to stir in us God, obedience to, to what you've called us to. God, I pray that we would be a people that are on mission. God, that we are a people found faithful, Lord, to the calling that you've placed on our lives and to, to the church. God, I pray that this, which, this church, Long Grove Community Church, this body of believers, Lord, I pray that we truly would be a church that is in one accord where we're walking in unity with one another, in love with one another, that when people come in from the outside into this community, whether it's through a service here or an interaction uh, somewhere else, Lord God, that, that when they come across a group of us or one of us, God, that, that, that truly they see something. They may not be able to figure out what it is, but God, that they would know that there is something here, that there's, there's something that's missing in their life. God, and that, that we would be bold enough to, to share what that is, and that's, that's Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. Lord, give us a heart for the lost. Give us a heart, Lord, to love one another, to love the ministry you've called us to. Again, looking at the disciples, Lord God, they knew, they knew that they were being called to something that was going to lead them, in most cases, Lord, to, to the loss of their life here on earth. But Lord, they recognized that the gain was so much more to be in relationship with their Lord and Savior and God to be found faithful. So God, we thank you that we would be found faithful, Father God, that you, would, you continue to help us, that you extend mercy and grace to us, and God, that you love us so deeply. So Lord, I thank you for Everyone here in this place and everyone watching online today, Lord God, I ask you just wherever they are, Lord, in their walk with you, whatever the situation they're being challenged with today, again, Lord, that they would look to you. That they would look to you, Lord, for, for that decision that needs to be made. God, for, 
what it is that you're calling them to. And God, that they would understand and know your will and be bold enough to step into it, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?